Hello and welcome to Diaries of a Lady Gardener. If you think gardening is cool and would rather take a trip to the garden centre than go out-out, you found the right podcast, but also you're not in the minority. Research from Draper Tools has revealed that over 80% of young people officially think gardening is cool, mainly because of its benefits for mental health and the environment. Draper Tools are back, sponsoring season two of the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, so why not join me in following them on Instagram? at draper underscore tools. In this episode, I got to chat with Rich from So Fresh, all about glorious microgreens. Prior to this episode, Rich had sent me one of their fabulous green kits to try for myself and I'm fully obsessed with it. As I record this, there are radishes ready to cut on the windowsill that were only sowed about seven days ago. Pea shoots are going mad and coriander, which there is more on this in later in the episode if you are not a fan. It was great to hear more about their journey and you really get the sense of how passionate Rich is about homegrown. So I hope you enjoy listening. Hi Rich, how are you today? Hey, it's going good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's going to be... a pleasure fascinating to talk about microgreens today um I know it's something that lots of people have sort of tried in the last year or so um I've just harvested yesterday my first wave of microgreens uh the red amaranth was my favorite because it looks absolutely stunning um so I'm excited to learn a little bit more um now that I've actually done it did you like the flavor of the amaranth yeah really nice and because it's something I want to grow in the in the garden next year for sort of flowers I was quite shocked that it's actually something I didn't even know it was edible mm, mm. yeah it's just amazing actually there's there's so many things in microgreens that are edible that aren't edible as as bigger flowers so like sunflowers for example probably mm. one of my favorite really really crunchy but you don't want to eat a fully grown sunflower <laughs> no <laughs> that's what you I'm gonna try next yeah yeah you should which we're developing um there's like a japanese mahogany tree uh that's like a really mega flavor of garlic uh as if you eat it green but obviously when it gets to a tree you can't eat it (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to see someone try (laughs) um so i know we're here to talk about microgreens primarily but can i start off by asking where your growing journey began i know that you grow in your garden um, so where did you kind of start off with that? Yeah, sure. So um, so we obviously been growing food for a while um, before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, we we really uh, we really went for it. Um, <laughs> I think uh, you know we're we're both foodies and we've both been kind of really into uh, you know sustainability and eco and all that stuff. Um, and I've also always been very kind of anal about where my food comes from. Um, so when there was a food shortage um, and there was just like, even from the farmer's markets, it kind of became abundantly clear that most of the vegetables come from abroad. Um, we kind of really doubled down and looked at, you know, what we could grow locally, um, setting up a community farm and, and you know, what, what, how could we produce more food you know, that we could eat um even just ourselves and for our community <laughs> and yes but but microgreens is the highest 
yielding the, the most profitable thing that you can pretty much do in agriculture is quick restaurants love it um it's kind of relatively high margin and we also we wanted to grow in a small spaces um you know without pesticides and herbicides and all that sort of stuff um so that's that's how we ended up doing the microgreens um i met a few microgreens farmers sort of all over the country one locally um and was just really really inspired by what they were doing um and didn't think too much about it i think we just jumped into it (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, now we grow in Bath mainly and in, in, in Bognor Regis, Crimson Farm. Um, we grow in Lymington as well um, and in Sway uh, in the New Forest. Um, we will obviously sell the microgreens grow kits as well. Um, so kind of as an environmentalist, that was really a much, that was kind of on our agenda. It wasn't really a, but about selling cut greens to restaurants. It was about getting people to grow more food at home and, and showing them how they could grow more food at home. Uh, and helping them on that journey yeah because it's such an amazing thing to grow as well because you don't need a lot of space you don't need any sort of like high-tech kit it's super accessible to people who I think that there's so many people that say that I I can't grow anything like it's amazing that you grow all that veg I just can't I can't grow anything and it's never the case it's because people try and grow one thing and it dies and then they go well look that's it now I can't grow anything but this yeah. is so easy. It, like you could pop it on your windowsill and within two weeks you've got like a crop. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people try kind of think of gardening as this kind of impenetrable world outside, um, you know, and to some extent it does take a lot of work to grow on an allotment or in a garden. Mm-hmm. Um, you've kind of got to show up every day and, uh, you know, it's a long crop cycle. Um, whereas with microgreens, you can literally put it on a windowsill um, and because it's on a window, so you're looking at it all the time. Uh, yeah. I have one on my desk at work. Um, it's kind of like, it's like having a pet, almost like a Tamagotchi. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can eat them. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I'm going to take mine to work because I will confess, out of the three that I grew, I did kill the, I think it was the rocket, because I wasn't at home for like three or four days and I forgot to water it. And the other two were fine. They survived. But it just dried out a little bit. There's like 50% of it was still fine, but there was just a few that didn't quite make it. So I'm going to take it to work because then I will give it all my love and care. And I promise I'll still <laughs> get work done if anyone from work is listening. <laughs> but I think also that's that's the other thing about microgreens. It's because say you say you want to like grow tomatoes for the first time in your life, then you know, you 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 plant your seeds and you have to wait a long time mm-hmm. before you get tomatoes. And if something goes wrong at any point on that journey, you sort of have to wait till next year. Whereas with microgreens, you can grow multiple crops at the same time. And some of them fail, it's not the end of the world. You know, you just yeah. rinse and start again. Um, and I think embracing that kind of failure, that learning journey um, as part of it is kind of key to having fun with it and, and to getting better at it um so like you will feel like some of our customers just can't grow coriander <laughs> uh, and some customers it's all they can grow you know it's, it's it depends on where you are and what you're doing and kind of um so we give people see the coir and we teach people how to make their own um plant food out of you know banana skins and coffee and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but you I think you just have to kind of embrace the the journey and see see what you can grow 
that you want to then then what you want to eat and then what you're going to do with it once you've once you've made it you know yeah because it really can form your cooking right and make your plate look really beautiful and fine dining beans on toast <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing as well I remember working in um, a restaurant when I was younger and we started putting microgreens on things and I just assumed that it was sort of to make it look fancy but now that I've tried it myself it does add, add such a depth of flavour and like extra textures and they're am I right in thinking they're really nutrient dense as well yes yeah they are um so it's a bit overplayed uh, but brassicas are um depending on the science that you that you believe it's kind of between 40 and 70 times more nutrient dense um per gram than the uh fully grown veg wow yeah it's a lot it's a lot so it doesn't necessarily work with herbs um mm-hmm. some some a lot of them are more nutritious um and then when you look into the flavor like it's kind of obvious so like sweet corn right is the most mad intense flavor I, I don't even like it it's too sweet for me it's it's oh, sweeter really? than sugar thing um and like yeah the mahogany like for me it's quite garlicky um <laughs> but yeah the flavors are really really intense so you don't need lots of it um mm-hmm. but yeah nutrition wise um yeah this, I, this is probably one of the main reasons why they've gone from being just kind of a fine dining um you know garnish game thing and they've become more of a, they've been kind of really picked up by kind of nutritionists. And um, so like we work with a nutritionist in, in Guernsey who um, basically just is a huge, huge advocate of broccoli microgreens. Um, and she, and so broccoli is just a standard brassica, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a little handful of broccoli microgreens, it's the equivalent of eating, you know, one or two whole florets, um, which isn't for everyone. <laughs> do you know what as well broccoli is like my plant nemesis I can't grow it I like I've tried three years going and it either bolts or the caterpillars get it um so I'm gonna have to try I'll have to do the broccoli next it's so easy as a microgreen and it's quick as well it's kind of two two weeks two three weeks and you've got like a really decent crop um it's it's not hugely flavorsome Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of good insofar as you can add nutrition to more or less any dish um and it looks pretty um but yeah so yeah microbes are, are really really nutrient dense um which is also the other thing that have you read kiss the ground yes um, oh i think yeah, so, is there a netflix film called kiss the uh yeah no, the kiss yeah kiss, kiss kiss the, the, i don't know kiss the, so i think there is a netflix one as well but they had a book talks about how farming has um over the years it's kind of prioritized yield mm-hmm. uh, and weight over nutrition so now you know so there used to be you know 30 40 50 crops of corn grown in the us now it's one um and it's all kind of regulated so you have to buy the genetically modified corn seed and you have to spray it with these chemical fertilizers that kills the biostrate um and then the government will guarantee your crop value um so if your crop fails then they you still get the same money so there's no commercial economic incentive to you know grow a diversity of food and to kind of you know think about permaculture um so you know the more and that that kind of logic has extended all the way through agriculture now so it's all about weight it's not really about nutrition Mm -hmm. so it kind of seemed like really really obvious to us that if you're going to grow stuff at home 
then it should be about flavor, should be about nutrition, um, you know, because there's no, there's no way that we can grow all the corn that we need and all the wheat that we need to make our own bread, you know what I mean, in our gardens, yeah. it's just not really. But, you know, can we make a nutrient-dense contribution to every plate? Yes, we can. And that's, I think that's quite empowering. Definitely. And because you can grow it all year round as well. Like I, sweet corn is one of my, is my ultimate favorite thing, veg to grow at the allotment, but half of my crop has failed this year. So I'll probably only have maybe 12 cobs at max. And that's probably only going to last the next two, sort of two or three weeks because it's not a long lasting crop and I eat it the day I pick it anyway. Um, yeah. But this, you can kind of extend your season be growing stuff yourself that you can eat all year round and like the amount of things that you can grow as a microgreen is actually mad like I remember we when we briefly spoke about it you said that you can pretty much grow anything as a microgreen and I was thinking it would be very specific kind of different bits and pieces um I know that everyone in the UK has probably grown an egg egghead of cress as a child yeah of course and we all know how easy that is. So mm -hmm. it, it should be something that's just <laughs> quick and easy that we can all do. Yeah. So micro, all microgreen is, is this, it's a stage, right, before you get the true leaf. So it's the seedling um, and kind of the microgreens that we talked about, the edible seedling. So you can't grow anything. Uh, so for <laughs> example, tomato, tomato, I wouldn't recommend as a microgreen. No. I mean, you probably can eat the seedlings, but they're not very tasty. They're a bit coarse. Um, but but yeah, you can you can pretty much eat eat anything um, if you get it if you get it young enough. Um, I say that that's actually not true. You might want to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> anything uh, but with a caveat. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of trees right that are actually poisonous if you eat some microgreens. But pretty much all the food that you would normally think about in in you know that you would normally want to eat, yes, you can grow as a microgreen. And there's a bunch of other stuff that you can too. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. You can grow a lot. You can grow a lot of stuff and you can grow a lot indoors all year round. Um, and it's fun. And pests and diseases. Like I know that everyone's been affected by blight this year. My allotment's been disseminated by aphids. Like you kind of eliminate a lot of those issues. One, because it's a really short life cycle. And two, mm -hmm. because it's inside in that protected environment where hopefully the aphids won't be attacking your little seedlings. <laughs> on the windowsill. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so a lot of the, the herbs, like kind of your lemon basil, um, will do better in soil. And we do tend to grow um, a lot of the things that we want to take to maybe like baby leaf stage so a little bit longer. Um, we'll kind of grow them in soil because it's got the nutrition in. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else that you're literally just, literally just having as a microgreen, so you're, you know, your red frills mustard and your, Kohlrabi, for example, makes an amazing microgreen. You have to take it to this enormous cabbage. Um, all of these, all of the energy to create that microgreen, and it can kind of be, you know, six inches tall and, um, you know, really, really nutrient dense. All of that energy comes from the sea, which means that you don't need to grow it in a nutrient dense biostrate. You can actually have it in coir, right? So we use cocoa coir, which is um, recycled coconut hemp um so if people are if people are drinking hundreds of millions of gallons of um coconut juice or coconut water every day and all those coconut husks they tend to get burned um which is obviously really mega bad for the environment before mm. you fly your coconut. 
California. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we they can they make it into these blocks, um, which I sent to you, right? Yes. And um, yeah, and it, so the the cocoa quad doesn't really have any nutrition in it at all. Um, but it's so but much it, fun. It is fun, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. I um, yeah, I had like a five kilo block my first year of growing, and. I think I sat and watched it for about half an hour just as it was expanding. And it was one of those things where like you used to get those flannels from like Superdrug or Boots where you would put it yeah. under water and it would expand. But this is like yeah. a whole nother level. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really fun. And it makes it very easy for us to post it as well. Yeah, um, definitely. It's kind of the idea because originally I think a lot of our growers had like relatively big gardens and access to garden centers. But as we got bigger, we realized that probably now the majority of our customers were in like quite urban centers um and it's just not realistic to expect them to be able to go and jump on a bus to the garden center buy a bag of soil and then carry it back to their house and then store it in their house somewhere so a little tiny brick that we just send through the post is perfect because it's nice and clean and, and so on. and it's good enough it does it does enough of a job to grow your microgreens quite successfully but because of that um you know there's no parasites in it there's no you know there's, there's it's like a lifeless uh biostrate it's pretty much like a hemp mat almost mm-hmm. um so it doesn't attract flies it doesn't attract life and all that stuff you're always going to get mold spores because they're everywhere right mm-hmm. you're always going to get spores and mold spores um but keeping on top of that is literally just a question of you know, keeping it, keeping the humidity low, airflow high. So windowsills again are really good because you can open the window and that creates really great airflow. Um, but the point is that any any mold problems that you're going to find, you're always going to find them right at the tail end of the life cycle. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, by which time, as long as it's you know it's not too bad, you can just you can still harvest, and as long as it hasn't gone into the stems, then you're all good. Um, but yeah, so you don't you don't have as, as many problems, which means that you don't need to spray with pesticides. You don't need to spray, you know, pesticides with anything. You can literally just eat the food that you've grown from seed. You don't even have to wash it, um, which is yeah, really exciting. Yeah, really rewarding. Um, so if we just talk about the So Fresh kits quickly, can you explain mm. exactly what you get if you order one of the kits for people who would be sort of starting out? Because it is a really great way to sort of like get yourself started and then you keep that initial base kit and you just sort of top up with different um substrates and seeds as you keep on growing yeah sure so i mean yeah the, the kits the kits are three tray system it's the same system that you find in commercial microgreens farming um where you have three trays you've got a reservoir tray the bottom uh that holds the water um a seed tray with holes in it um, and then there's a, there's a lid that we can use as a, either as a blackout dome or to stack. So you can stack your boxes on top of each other to provide some down pressure. Um, and th- that, that's fundamentally the kit that you'll find in any microgreens grow kit. Um, I guess our USP is that we've got um, really nice handmade wooden frame um, for them to sit in, which is designed to be like a nice feature on your kitchen table or on your worktop or in the windowsill or whatever. Um, and yeah, there's some capillary matting in the bottom that we put in for our first growers, just to make it even easier to not have to remember to water them. Um, and then you get your block sequoia, 
um, and we basically we measure it all out. So rather than having like a massive block that you have to work out every single thing that we do, it's one tray, one block, one packet of seeds, um, and each packet of seeds is is measured out to be exactly the right number of seeds for the tray uh, to grow as microgreens. Um, so yeah, and it's all obviously wrapped in recycled. Every, the whole kit's made from recycled materials in the UK by hand. Uh, so it's it's kind of packaged in that way. So if you're expecting, you know, Swanky silver foil packaging branded and stuff, then that's not <laughs> us. Um, but yeah, so it's all all recycled and recyclable materials. Um, but yeah, we just launched a new product actually called the, the Mega Box, uh, which is the nibbler, just the small box, mm -hmm. but with uh, 15 blocks of core and 15 packets of seeds, because um, we want to get people growing whatever they want to grow, because there's so many different things we can say that we can grow as a microgreen. Um, so yeah, it just makes sense to, to give them all of those options. So yes, yeah, so that's, our, that's our kit. Yeah, and it's lovely that it comes in the three sizes. So you've got the nibbler, which is the sort of single tray. I can't think what the next one is. And then I've got the grazer, which is the three tray. Yeah. Yeah, the chomper and the grazer. Um, yeah, that's quite fun. That's our copywriter, Dave Harland, who uh, came <laughs> up with um, But yeah, so we we wanted to we wanted to create like something that was big enough to make a, an impact um, to to your plates. Because um, <laughs> a lot of them are quite tiny. And you can get them in these little round um, kind of cardboard uh, pots, but they're mm -hmm. just a bit too small, really. Um, and then obviously you have to discard the cardboard and, and throw it all away. Whereas with our kits, it's all, you know, you can keep going, they'll last forever. Like the, the plastic trays, we have a 10 year guarantee on them. Mm -hmm. um, like if they break, we'll literally just send you another one because um, they're really steady. And they all go through the dishwasher. So when you're finished, ah. you just bang your coir out into your compost bin. It makes lovely compost. Um, if you don't mind, bits of broccoli springing up all over your garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then the trays we just put through the dishwasher uh, and then go again. Perfect. And one of the things I found really interesting when I started growing was the um, the tray that blocks out the light because I hadn't really anticipated that that would be the case. Is that, is that for all microgreens or is it just certain ones? Um, so all of them, all of the microgreens all have instructions that are all specific. They've kind of come off the back of lots of trials. Mm -hmm. uh, we have like a sewing and growing team who basically try uh, all of our seeds in different, different techniques. And we do quite a few different uh, experiments and we try it in different temperatures and different locations so that we can come up with instructions that work on on whatever seed that you're growing. But I think, yeah, probably majority of them do benefit from having a bit of blackout time. Mm -hmm. um, so if you put the blackout dome on top, it kind of acts, does two things. It acts as a humidity dome, yeah, uh, which keeps you know, keeps the moisture up. Uh, and it also... I guess tricks the seeds into thinking that they're underground. <laughs> uh, so it just it just all helps with more even germination. Um, so yeah, there's two ways. Yeah, one is the humidity dome, the other one is to stack them. So again, you put the you put the lid upside down, and you put a tin of beans or you know a small weight in it, and again that just pushes pushes the seeds into the coir, so that when the root hairs pop out, they grab onto the coir better. Um, and yeah, you get much better even germination. 
Um, but yeah, also the other thing about once they've germinated and you get the little greeny yellow um, roots, I guess they're kind of yellow and brown, uh, when they first come out, they're effectively like sprouts. If you leave them in the dark, then they have to work harder for the light and they have to grow taller. So we call it stretching, but you basically effectively you stretch them out by leaving them in the darkness for longer. You can overdo it, they can become really leggy and fall over. <laughs> um, but if you, as soon as they've germinated, if you then take the lid off and put them under the light, then they can get lazy and they just go, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> get their, they get their leaves out and they don't need, they don't need to, to work very hard to get to the light. So yeah, before we put them under the light, we like to kind of, stretch them out a little bit just so that you get more yield so you get more more stuff to eat mm-hmm. it's so interesting it's so cool that plants can be tricked like that um i love it um so on on the once they're grown i know that you can compost it at the end but at what stage would you cut them like how do you know when they're sort of ready for you to eat so i would say as soon as you want them they're ready <laughs> <laughs> um it depends how much you're growing like when we grow a 1020 tray for a restaurant, um, most of our restaurants want the living tray in the restaurant oh, okay. so they can and go straight away because because they're so small, um, you want them as fresh as possible. And we always say our kind of original driver was, you know, how fresh can you get? Um, you know, and effectively it's cutting it and then straight away putting it in your mouth. Um, but yeah, you can so like if it's at your desk and you're in the office then it, i was thinking it's like having a bag of nuts on your desk but healthier uh, yeah. you can just eat them one by one <laughs> um but yeah you can harvest them all um in one go stick them in a container in the fridge and they'll keep for a few days um but yeah we always we always think that i don't know if you've looked at some of the some of the science behind uh, nutrition loss in vegetables particularly air freight vegetables um, but often by the time it gets to your plate it's lost kind of more than half of its original nutrition mm-hmm. um, just being, being cut and being eaten um, so yeah so we're all how fresh can you get and try and cut it and eat it straight away <laughs> there's a video actually on tiktok of kate in a cow onesie eating it straight out of the pot (laughs) (laughs) being grown (laughs) I'm definitely going to go and watch that after this episode (laughs) um and then going back to the compost I know that you also Mm. sell the Bakashi composters and I I know that you've got a lot of knowledge on this one um you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to sorry no no just something weird happened with the sound Um. hang on Oh, it's finished now. Okay, go on. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I thought you were panicking about me asking that no, question. No, that was a really bizarre noise. Anyway, carry on. Um, so I know you sell the Bakashi composters, and a lot of people have been talking about that this year. Um, but I actually don't really know that much about how it works. Could you kind of explain a little bit about what it is and how people use it? Yeah, sure. So Bakashi is a is a is a food bin effectively that you add uh, a brand to. Uh, and the brand is inoculated with microbes, uh, and those microbes is it's very much like a, you know for wormery, it's the same kind of concept. Um, but for food waste specifically, it's really great because you can put pretty much anything 
in it, including like chicken bones or meat or even cooked food, you know, bits of old rice and stuff that you wouldn't normally want to put in your composter. You can put that in your bakashi and then the the microbes do their do their business and they extract this magical but very smelly juice <laughs> uh, that you can use as plant food. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of it, you know, you compost it in a normal way. Um, so it's just, it's the, the great thing about them is that they say so they, they're like our friends, our little microbes. <laughs> you just keep them in a jar and scoot them on top. So, you know, you put your food waste in, put a scoop of bran on top um, and then there's no smell, which is remarkable really because I don't know I've, we've tried so many different food bins um you know with the little carbon filters on the top and mm -hmm. they all stink don't they um, yeah. and at the bottom you get this smelly juice that you always end up washing down the sink and then trying to clean with chemicals <laughs> <laughs> whereas with the Makashi you get this lovely I call it uh, liquid gold um that you there's a little tap at the bottom and you put a couple of mil in your uh, in your watering can, and off you go. Um, and we did an experiment. I'll just send you the photo. We did an experiment between watering with and watering just with water, and it's extraordinary. It's a bit like Tomorrowlite, or you know, any of those kind of plant mm -hmm. fertilizers. It's just super, super rich in all of the good things that plants need to grow, um, and it's free because it comes from your food waste and then yeah, it means that you can also then put all of that food waste in the composter that you wouldn't normally want to do mm -hmm. uh, so yes yeah, so it's really it's a clever clever thing it's quite good like, on a small scale isn't it like you don't need a massive compost bin for it you can kind of um do it on in a it, like it's quite a small pot isn't it it's almost like a food bin caddy type size Yes. Well, so there's all different sizes, right? Well, as of everything. Um, so we have uh, Bakashi bins uh, around the back of some of our restaurants, um, mm -hmm. which are effectively, um, you know, just wheelie bins with a hose pipe in the bottom. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can get really big ones and really small ones. Um, they take a couple of months to, to, do their, to do their business. So if you get a really small one, it's worth getting two. So I think the one that we sell on the website, you get two. Um, so you kind of fill it up, pop it outside, fill up the other one, and then by the time the other one's full and your first one's kind of good to go, water your plants, compost on. Um, but yes, you can get them in all kinds of different sizes. But I think the future is kind of already here. Uh, if you, it's just not, it's just not white. It's not evenly distributed. And suppose you're composters now electric composters starting to see them in your posh kitchen so if you if you've got a hundred grand kitchen with a boiling tap and a wine cooler and you know all the gadgets and gizmos they will sell you a compost unit in your kitchen on your work oh, wow. so you sweep everything in and it's you know it's, it's electric it can do things in kind of an hour and a half to three hours that uh, you know and create soil at the bottom that you can then scoop out and, and use so all this stuff is here and it is coming it's just really expensive mm. um but using the same principles and processes you know you can make your own bakashi all you all you actually really need is the inoculated brand and then you can do it in anything as long as there's a tap in the bottom of it 
um, to collect your liquid gold. Otherwise, it's all a bit pointless. Um, <laughs> then, yeah, you can you can make them in any size and, and for, for anything that you want. I'm definitely going to give it a go. It's something I've been looking at for ages, but I didn't really understand sort of how it worked and what the purpose of it was versus like a normal compost bin because I'm quite precious about what goes in my compost bin at the allotment mainly because of a big weed seed problem that I had last year but um a lot of people are like you shouldn't put like cooked food and like you say like bones and eggshells and things because just because they won't break down you compost on the do you compost at home as well no so I, I take all of the food waste that I can to the allotment um, and I do have a separate bin where I put the sort of cooked food waste because I live in a really small flat and I cannot deal with the fruit flies or the smell of having a little compost bin in my flat because it just takes over and it's, do you it's have just any not worth it. Do you, have a, do you have a balcony or anything? No, nothing. Mm. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that. It was, you know, if you say like, oh, there's no smell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depends how small your <laughs> it depends how small your place is. It's quite small. You more food waste, right? Than you think. That's actually one of the it's one of the things that's like you really makes you aware when you start when you start handling all of your organic waste. Uh, you realise quite how much of it is there is, right? Mm-hmm. That you put in. Um, so yeah, but as long as you but you have your allotment, so that's your. I do, yeah. Um, it's like my haven it's um I think 180 square meters so it's 10 meters by 18 I'm sure I've worked out 180 square meters (laughs) and so it is quite big and I've got the sort of shed greenhouse on there which is brilliant um because it means I can grow so much more that is sort of protect in that protected environment which is brilliant the allotment is um it is an amazing space and I'm really lucky to have it because I don't have any outside space where I live at home Um, which is nice that I can have the microgreens growing here because I have a lot of house plants and kind of bring the outside in as much as I can but yeah Yeah. it it is hard when it's kind of like although I don't live in the city I live Mm. in a flat that is very much like a city dweller flat (laughs) yeah yeah this is this is the feature that I'm most excited about is growing indoors domestically right because it's uh you know whether you're trying to take control of your um your food supply chain or whether you have very specific dietary requirements or whether you just like the choice or whether it's a fun kind of mindful hobby um it's so easy it's so possible um so like you know we we have hydroponics and and microgreens and and all sorts in, in our kitchen um that we'd love to develop further and do an awful lot more because i think that just like composting, growing some food does something to you as a human being. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it it unlocks a part. Like we're predisposed to be able to grow our own food, right? Like so, all of our ancestors grew grew their own food, and you don't have to go back that far. It's kind of two, three generations to see where, where everybody grew some food. Um, and you know, there's large parts of the world now where people need to grow and forage food in order to survive. Uh, and I'm not kind of one of these you know, when the apocalypse comes, I've got all the seeds kind of people. But uh, <laughs> I do think that, you know, we've been particularly in the pandemic, right, we've become more and more disconnected from the earth and from each other and from, you know, it's mad that we can just on our phone do all of the work and 
dating and order food and then a man will cycle it to you and then you can someone will pick it and take it away like you don't have to leave where you are mm-hmm. uh, and you can become very very disconnected and I think like, there's a lot of depression and anxiety and things that have really spiked in the pandemic as we become dis- more and more disconnected from from the earth and growing some food kind of brings that connection back um, and it's like magic right you know you sprinkle your seeds and and it just happens and you just and, you, and it's it's so easy and it's so magical and special that I feel like it's uh, it's hard not to do it once you once you get started definitely I think it's definitely like a you get a bit addicted to it like I just remember the first year I could not get over how much had grown I couldn't believe that the seeds that I'd sown as someone who literally had no knowledge whatsoever had turned into all these crops and like the sweet corn I grew the first year was huge and it was amazing and I've never had corn as good as it was that first year but it is that like it is amazing to watch it go from a seed to a, pro- a product especially with obviously microgreens is super quick but even a lot of the crops that you grow in the in the garden or in the allotment like they only take a few months for them to go from that tiny seed to being an edible crop mm. and it's kind of like when you go to the supermarket you look at a carrot and you think you literally don't think about it do you you pick up the carrots you put them in your basket and that's it whereas mm. when you grow a carrot you are constantly mm-hmm. checking that carrot. I'm terrible for pulling them up early. I'm really lucky that I don't have um, carrot root fly on my allotment, but I'm always pulling them up early, like watching the sort of stages. You can get all different colours. They're so much more tasty, like sweeter, mm-hmm. crunchier. And a lot of the things that you grow in the garden, you can't buy in the supermarket. Even in like a nice farm shop, you can't get it there because it's not that kind of product. So I just think it, it opens up a whole new world of possibility, really. Yeah, I think it's that choice element that. So I often get I often get confronted with these conversations around, um, you know, convenience shopping, convenience consumer habits, um, convenience buying, and I just don't think I don't think that the convenience argument is super relevant. Uh, where next to the food security argument, mm-hmm. so for most people in the world who have a food security issue. They don't have delivery, like they don't, they don't have that luxury. Um, but I think in the kind of Western world, you know, where we're so rich that we can get eat whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, we can get a halal jerk chicken bagel at three in the morning <laughs> delivered to us. Um, you know, I think that choice, that choice, that element of choice and being able to grow special things, things that you've never heard of before, things that you... Uh, you definitely can't buy in the shops. I think that's maybe the key to um, opening up some of that market in the indoor agriculture and, and domestic agriculture space. Because um, people want to grow stuff that's that's cool, and you know, you know, if everyone's taking photographs of their food on Instagram, then you know, let's make it special if we can. Definitely, let's make gardening cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is something that comes up so frequently. And actually, after I got my microgreens kit, I obviously showed it to loads of people at, that I was at work with. And then I ordered one for one of my friends at work, who she started it a couple of days ago. She's absolutely obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> and then a couple of other people at work who are not people, they, they are the people that would go, I'm not a grower, I'm not a gardener, I can't grow anything. They also ordered a couple. And 
were like, but this looks really cool. I'm going to give this a go because it looks cool. It looks quite simple. And they're like really excited about it. Whereas normally I'm sat there talking about my garden being like, oh, I grew this and I grew that. And this is a vegetable that, like this is a picture of a thing I built. And they're interested, but you can tell that they've not got that little like spark of like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Whereas with, with that, they were kind of like, oh, I think that this is actually my entry point of like, I could actually do that. <laughs> That's really lovely to hear. But yeah, entry point, that was exactly what we were going with with the kids. Mm-hmm. We're like, what, what is our minimum viable product? Like, what is, how do we get anyone to be able to succeed in making a nutrient dense contribution to their plate and, you know, and being able to grow something and do something new? Um, so yeah, microgreens is kind of is the best way to go with that. But it's, it's nice to hear because we, we, we did spend, there have been literally thousands of hours <laughs> going into writing those instructions. Uh, making sure that they're all right and that their word is in a way that's accessible and it's not too complicated mm-hmm. um you'll find though that once people kind of get over that initial that's we're trying to make it as accessible and as easy to start as possible once people get over the initial like four or five rows mm-hmm. the kind of way right because you know people don't even read the instructions anymore they just they just crack on because they know what they're going to do until they yeah. fail and then they go instructions and they go oh okay i didn't do that mm-hmm. um but yeah, like having that confidence that they can grow anything, that's for me, like that's the holy grail, like being able to empower people to realise that it's not that hard. No. It's like we say, like the dishwasher, oh, the dishwasher does the washing and the and the washing machine does the does the does the washing. Do you know what I mean? Like in the same way the seeds do the growing. Mm. Like you're just there. Yeah. <laughs> you just already, need to give it the water. <laughs> Yeah, it's really not rocket science. Like the the most incredible technology in the entire world is the seeds. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, you just need to give them a space to do their magic and and watch. That's great. And I think that this is a perfect point to sort of end the main topic, and we'll go on to a few questions that I ask everyone. But if if you if you're listening to this and you're not feeling inspired to grow microgreens, I can't help you. <laughs> you're a lost cause. <laughs> but um yeah it is brilliant I absolutely love it and I would recommend it to anyone um I shared quite a lot of stories early on with my microgreens growing I'm going to share more with my next one because I'm going to do the sweet corn and sunflowers they're my next two like big ones that I really want to do Um, the sweet corn keep them in the dark right don't let them get any light at all you actually have to keep it dark if they go green they're really really bitter okay Uh, and eat them early as well um, the only thing I'd say, Shannon, is that um, with our kits as well, so we obviously we make them as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we offer our we offer support. So if people want to send us photos, so a lot of our customers will set, will take photos and say, "Shall I water this?" Mm-hmm. Or you know, "Is this mold?" No, it's root hairs. Is this um, you know? And and they ask questions, and then for, you know, I'm more than happy to you know jump on a call and do even like sew with people or you know do live sewing on whatsapp or, or zoom or whatever um because we want people to be successful and if, if you're not successful if it doesn't work we will send you some new seeds uh on the house because we're, <laughs> we're that confident that it will work <laughs> oh that's amazing do. so yeah i thought you know if you're curious then it's you know it's worth and you know give it a go and you've got nothing to lose I feel like that's definitely that extra vote of confidence, knowing that you're on hand and if it does all go wrong, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Perfect. So these are the questions that I ask every guest. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes we get guests that say the exact same thing. Sometimes it's really varied, but it's always really interesting. Um, so do you have a favourite fruit, veg, flower, or in your case, microgreen to grow? Oh, that's really hard. I don't know. I like, uh, Most people go... Because it's my favourite mic. Uh, and I like curry with my coriander microgreens mm -hmm. rather than microgreens with my curry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so probably coriander is my favourite microgreen to eat. Uh, but amaranth is so beautiful, right? I don't know. Like, so beautiful. I'm just not a huge fan of the taste. Like, I sometimes, oddly, get a craving for amaranth and I will eat some. Mm -hmm. uh, some, there's obviously something in my in my gut that needs those specific nutrients, but um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I couldn't eat a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, but coriander, I could literally eat all day long, every day. See, I actually. Funnily enough, I don't like the fully grown plant. Like, I find it a bit soapy. Oh really? I was going to say I hate coriander as a herb. Like, yeah, I'll have to I try it as microgreen. It yeah it tastes soapy and I find it a bit coarse and it often it goes off really quickly um whereas the microgreens they're almost like lemony and zingy and they're just much I don't know I just I just so having not really liked coriander all my life to then grow microgreens coriander microgreens I was like wow, wow I actually mm. love this it's been a real revelation so yes that's my favorite coriander that is interesting I'm definitely gonna have to give it a go I saw it in the box and I was like mm. Don't like coriander, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. I will try it. Um, and then the next one, if you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to try, try growing microgreens for the first time, what would your one piece of advice be? Buy our kits. <laughs> Top advice. Uh, I, think, I think it's about giving yourself the best possible chance of success. It's the first part of the advice. And the second part is, don't worry if it fails. Try again. Like, how many people have grown tomatoes this year and they've got blight? Are you going to never grow tomatoes ever again? Or are you going to try again next year? Mm -hmm. um, the thing about microgreens is you're looking at kind of two to three week crop cycles. So if it doesn't work, just try something different or try it, try it again or, you know, keep going. Um, because it really is that easy. Um, but even professional microgreens growers will have mold problems or poor germination rates or whatever on some trays occasionally. And that's not the end of the world. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So don't worry about it. Just crack on and go again. <laughs> and that brings me perfectly on to the next question. Do you have any epic garden fails that you'd like to share? Um... Not really. <laughs> We've had the. I've had a greenhouse that I put a. I put a really really big greenhouse on Crimson Farm. I suppose that's probably the biggest fail. We bought a. We bought a quite large polytunnel, uh, but one of the crap ones, sort of cheap ones, because we wanted to have. We were doing an experiment. We've got this massive ten meter by thirty meter polytunnel, um, where we're growing microgreens. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to do a a separate one. At where we were growing at different temperatures and we bought one of those you know the crappy ones that you know everyone said they blow off the poles that you can put like on the by the side anyway it was a cheap polytunnel mm -hmm. and we went to put it up 
and we had like a team of people putting it up and sewing the, the greens and then the time it took between putting this polytunnel up and having like 25 trays of micro green sewed the whole thing had blown off the poles no <laughs> windy day <laughs> uh, yes it wasn't ideal so yeah buy cheap buy twice with polytunnels is the lesson there yeah uh, do you know I've looked at those little ones so many times because I couldn't fit anything bigger on my allotment but after seeing it's what you get one slightly windy day and that's it they're gone mm, mm. so yeah. yeah I'm not sure if it's a fail but our garden is now absolutely full of orange flowers so we did edible flowers mm-hmm. and, um so we had like nasturtium we have got we've got a lot of our garden is most of the flowers in our garden now are edible which is quite fun um but borage really has gone crazy there was a fire in the bottom of our garden um a couple of weeks ago well, well a couple of months ago now um and everything's kind of burnt down the fence panels have gone but it was like the end of the song but all these borage flowers instead of poppies <laughs> like borage flowers at the bottom of my garden which I'm just harvesting and selling to chefs Amazing. <laughs> like an borage farmer now <laughs> <laughs> it does sell seed like crazy mm. I do love the borage flowers though I freeze them in little ice cubes for when yeah, we... I have people around <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that's really definitely. Fun. Brilliant. Well, I think. Then... Go on, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, um, I think that just about wraps up the episode today. So, thank you so much for coming on and talking all about microgreens. It's been very interesting. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. And uh, yeah, if there's anything like I say, if you want any support or any of your listeners want any support, uh, then we're all av- always available on hand. Um, so yeah. Give us a shout, WhatsApp us, send us the photos, and we can we can help. Brilliant! And how for having us? How can people find you on Instagram? Uh, we're so fresh official, S O W fresh official. Um, I think we're so fresh official on Facebook as well. Um, so yeah, that's where we can find us. But so fresh dot com, S O W fresh dot com. That's where we are. Brilliant! Go and check it out. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. All right. I hope that this has inspired you to give microgreens a go. They're super easy and a perfect crop to get started as the summer season comes to an end to keep yourself eating homegrown all year round. Do check out So Fresh on Instagram at So S O W Fresh Official and take a look at their kits. They not only look great, but they're a super tasty addition to your meals. And I know that Rich would be happy to answer any questions you may have. If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. In the meantime, I'd love to hear any of your questions and stories on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me, but I'll be back next week. Happy growing! Happy growing!